Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. In fact, I do ask you to do that. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the pews. We'll be walking through this section verse by verse. It's probably familiar with many of you, but we'll look at it in a little bit more detail. Hear now the word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see these things that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that as these same words are considered now as they were that first day that the angel shared, the truths that we learn about our Savior, may you impress them upon our heart. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we come to our text this morning, six months have passed since Mary's visit with Elizabeth, as we talked about uh, a previous week, and much has happened We know that Joseph resolved to divorce Mary um, and uh, quietly because he didn't want to embarrass her. And an angel visited him in his dream saying this, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph believed the angel, and he married Mary. We also know at this point that John the Baptist was born and that Zechariah, his father, who was left mute during the pregnancy, immediately had his tongue loosed and being filled with the Holy Spirit, he, he praised God in song and he sang what we call the Benedictus, the second of the great nativity hymns, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That's found in Luke chapter 1, verse 57 to the end of the chapter. Well, now, beginning in chapter 2, the stage is set for the birth of Christ. We read in the first verse, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, it was this decree by Caesar Augustus that sent Joseph and Mary from the town of Nazareth to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, says verse 4. 
See, they had to return to their ancestral town in order to be counted in the census. Well, this decree was used in the providence of God in fulfilling an ancient prophecy that was found in Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old and from everlasting. And, and so that secular decree by the Caesar Augustus is, is the decree used by God with the purpose of fulfilling his purposes on earth. Now, what's interesting is a decree like this was unheard of for years. And then all of a sudden, it was revised by Caesar Augustus. We don't know why he did it, but we do know that it was a decision ordained by God a decision that God ordained long before Caesar's birth so that the true king of Israel could be born in this little town of Bethlehem. And that's what happens. In Bethlehem, the king of Israel is born in a barn. Look at verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And that brings us to our text this morning. However, before we look at the text, I, I, I do want to take a moment to reflect on Caesar Augustus. He reigned as an emperor for 41 years, 27 B.C. to 14 A.D., and his reign was marked by peace and security for the nation. He was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. His real name, that is, was Gaius Octavius, but he was adopted legally by Julius Caesar, so he took the name Caesar as his own. And later, he became known as Caesar from Julius, which in later years became almost equivalent with being an emperor. Augustus, however, is a different term in Latin, and it means holy. It means worthy of reverence. He was the first Caesar to ever be called Augustus. Uh, prior to this, that term had been reserved for the gods, and that's how it was used. And so basically, by calling him Caesar Augustus, they were referring to him as a deity. In fact, at the time that Luke wrote this, these words, um, some Greek cities in Asia Minor adopted Caesar's birthday, September 23rd, as the first day of the new year. And they would celebrate that new year um, with uh, hailing him as Savior. One ancient inscription even called him Savior of the whole world. Many were so convinced that he was a God that when he died, they just simply took comfort in the fact that since he's God and God can't die, that Caesar must not have died despite the body they saw before them. And see, they esteemed him and they believed in him. And so here he is, he's Caesar Augustus, he's a ruler, he's a savior, he's a god, a Caesar who brought great peace to Rome, a peace, of course, that came by the point of a sword, but it was peace. And the reason why this is important is I believe Luke wants us to see this as the backdrop, the backdrop of the birth of Jesus as a contrast to the coming of the real ruler, Savior, and God, who on earth brings peace among those whom God is pleased. See, what we have in our text is not the story 
of a man claiming to be God as Caesar did, we have the story of God becoming man as Jesus did. It's not the story of a child being born to royalty in a palace announced to the world in the light of day with all the fanfare that would go along with that, but rather it's the story of a child being born to peasants in a manger announced to shepherds in the dead of night. Already, what's happening here is the prophecies given to Mary in her song are coming true. He's looking upon the humble state of his servant, as she's saying in verse 48. He is bringing down the mighty from their thrones, and, he's all, and he is exalting those of humble estate, verse 52. And who better to exalt than these humble shepherds? Good news is being preached to the poor. The humble shepherds, Isaiah 61, 1 promises that. And, and the shepherds are poor and they're insignificant. We considered Caesar, now consider the shepherds. And they didn't have a good reputation. The nature of their calling prevented them from observing the ceremonial law, which, meant, which was so important to the religious people. They were known as liars and thieves, often stealing as they moved about the country. Their testimony was inadmissible in court. They were despised, and with the exception of lepers, they were the lowest class of men in Israel. We don't even know these shepherds' names. And yet, it's to them, it's to them that the message is first pronounced. It's not given to kings. It's not given to the mighty of the world, but to the poor and lowly shepherds. And again, this is a fulfillment of an ancient prophecy. In Jeremiah 33, if you were to turn there, you would see that a time was going to come when shepherds are resting their flocks, we're told in verse 12 of that chapter. In those days, God will fulfill a promise he made to the house of Israel. I will cause a righteous branch to pop up. When, when, when these shepherds are resting their flocks, Jeremiah says, I'm going to cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And that's exactly what's taking place. See, by fulfilling this ancient prophecy, prophecy, the shepherds prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And then we pick up in verse 9. An angel appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And being confronted with this glory, uh, not only the appearance of an angel, but in the face of the glory of God that shone around them, they're, they're filled with fear, as you would be too. And once again, the angel announces, fear not. He said it to Zechariah, fear not. He said it to Mary, fear not. He said it to Joseph, fear not. Now he says it to the shepherds, fear not. Do not be afraid, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news, that's the gospel, is being pronounced to these humble uh, shepherds. It's a gospel of great joy, we're told. And a gospel, we're told, that's for all the people. It includes these liars and thieves. It includes these lowly shepherds. This phrase, all the people, in the Old Testament referred to Israel. But as we'll see later in this chapter, it includes the Gentiles, as well now. The gospel, the good news, Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, is first to the Jew and then to the Greek. And so it's for all people 
When Christ came, now this good news is for everyone, Jew and Gentile. It's a message of good news and joy for the joyless. It's a message of good news and joy for the outcast. It's a message of good news and joy for the lowly. It's a message of good news and joy for thieves and liars and all those in the society that are despised. Beloved, it's a message for people like you and like me. For unto you, we're told, unto you, for this this child was born to the shepherds. Usually a baby is born to the parents. You wouldn't say, my granddaughter Nora was born to St. Stephen. You would say, no, she was born to Gabrielle. She was born to Tarek. And yet there's something different about this child. The baby was, a, was a, a gift born not just to Mary, born not just to the shepherds, but born to all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The gift that's laying in that manger is the gift of a ruler, we read, of a Savior and of a God. He was born in the city of David. That's the sixth time Luke has mentioned David's name. The child born is the royal son of David. He is a Davidic king. He's also a savior. This title is only referred to here in the Synoptic Gospels and is found only once in John's Gospel. A savior is what? Is is a deliverer, someone who rescues people from death and destruction, which implies what? That we are in need of being rescued from death. And destruction. And and see, this child who was born came to deliver us from that death and destruction, from sin and Satan, and, and rescue us from the righteous wrath of God. He is a Savior. He is a Davidic king. He is a Savior. And this Savior is also called, according to our passage, Christ the Lord. Or maybe we would say Christ and Lord. In either case, it's an expression found nowhere else in the New Testament. The term Christ means what? It means anointed one. Eventually, it became part of the Savior's name, but it's really a title. A title in the Greek is analogous to the term Messiah, and they both have similar meanings. And so the term signifies that the baby who was born was the long-awaited Messiah, God had always promised that he would send his anointed one, the the Messiah who would save his people. Now he was born. This young baby is the Messiah. And he's also Lord. What's that term used for? In the Old Testament, in the Septuagint version, it's used of God. It's a translation of the name Yahweh. And so this title points to this baby's deity, his sovereign rule over all our lives. And I understand this, this is the first time that these two titles, Christ and Lord, are brought together. First time. Jesus is the Lord Christ. He is the promised Messiah. He is the anointed Savior, the Davidic ruler, who was none other than God himself. He is God. Ruler, Savior, God. And so we stop here and ponder the contrast now between Caesar Augustus, who was a ruler, who the people pronounced as a savior, who was a self-proclaimed God. And we, we contrast them with this baby, who was a ruler, 
who is an angel pronounced Savior, who is an angel pronounced God. See, what we have here is, is a contrast, and in the midst of that contrast, we're given a choice. We can choose between Caesar or Christ. We could choose between giving glory to man or glory to God. We could choose between man-made religion, like all the other religions of the world, or God-ordained religion. It's a choice between salvation from below and salvation from above. It's a choice between salvation that begins from below and tries to reach up to the heavens, or it's a salvation that comes down from above and descends to earth. See, here's the facts, beloved. Only one of those choices will give you lasting peace. Roman peace was wonderful. It remained for a time. It brought temporary peace, but now it's gone. It's gone. But this peace, the peace we're talking about here, it lingers. It, it, it remains for all eternity. It, it surpasses all understanding. It's the peace that comes down from heaven and is found here in that manger. The peace that can only be found in the King, the Savior, the God, Jesus Christ, the Lord. See, that is where the peace that we all long for, we all long for that. A believer, a non-believer, we all long for it. Well, it's found only in Christ. And see, it's a peace that we can all have. That's the wonderful thing. That's why it's good news. It's offered to all the people. Everyone, if we're willing to hear, if we're willing to believe the message that the shepherds heard and believed on that first Christmas morning, we can have this peace. And so either we're going to step out in faith and believe the message of the shepherds as they did, or we will seek salvation in our own imaginations. There's no in-between. I hope you get that. This, This lays out the contrast. There's a choice to be made. There's no middle ground. There's no neutrality. A choice must be made. Either you will choose Caesar or you will choose Christ. You will choose the salvation of your own imagination or you'll choose the one that was revealed to us by angels and God himself. Now, to help with that choice, uh, with their choice, with their belief, the shepherds were given a sign. It confirmed the message of salvation that was offered to them. Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. See, the angels wouldn't find their Savior couched in royal splendor. They weren't going to be able to go to a palace and find him there, as you would expect. Rather, they were to be looking for a baby who's wrapped in swaddling cloths and just lying in a manger. Uh, see, without uh, this word from the angel, they would have never found him because they wouldn't have looked there. But the angel's word served uh, both purposes. It would help them find the baby. There were a lot of babies born that evening, I'm sure, but not many wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger in a barn. It would, it, so it would help them find it, but it would also confirm the angel's message. 
See, the point I'm trying to make here is we're not just left making a a leap of faith when it comes to believing in Jesus, as you hear people say, when it comes to believing the gospel. We We have reasons to believe. There's, there is a defense for our faith. I mean, people don't like to hear it, and, and that's not surprising because our faith also tells us they won't like to hear it. But the shepherds was what was theirs. It was seeing that child in the manger. It confirmed the message. What is it for us? It's the fulfillment of, of prophecies like this that we're reading about, many biblical prophecies. That should give us assurance. It, it's the beauty and the accuracy of the Word of God It's the testimony of Scripture, the birth and life and death, and especially the resurrection of Christ. And most importantly, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. Paul says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, Romans 8, 16. And so there's reasons. And so there's no excuse for not following in the shepherd's steps and by faith seeking the Christ. We have reasons to believe the message. Well, after they, the shepherds are given this good news and they provides evidence for its truthfulness, the angel that was there is joined by a multitude of angels, an orchestra of angels. The pronouncement to the shepherds is now punctuated by praise. Look at verse 13. And suddenly... There was a, with this angel, a multitude of the heavenly host. A multitude's not 10, it's not 100, it's not even 1,000, it's a number beyond count. Uh, uh, Kent Hughes says every one of God's angels are there, every one of them, because this is the most amazing event that had ever happened in the entire universe. He says, look, this was a Christmas concert like any other Christmas concert you've ever been at. We're going to enjoy, if you attend the Messiah, a wonderful Christmas concert. It will not be like this one. The curtain is pulled back, as it were. The the darkness is faded as the glory of God uh, blazed among this heavenly choir. The heavenly host stretched from horizon to horizon, obscuring uh, the winter constellation, says one writer. Now, a host is an army scripturally. Uh, But this army did not come bearing swords. They came bearing a song, a beautiful song. And and, And they did not sing of war, but they sung of peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the third of the nativity songs, the nativity hymns, and and it's an amazing song. And what makes this song stand out among the rest is that it descends rather than ascends. The song does not rise from earth to heaven, but rather from the heavens to the earth. Again, it's, it's demonstrating and confirming for us the, the God-centeredness of the message of this good news, of this gospel. The Son of God, the, the second person of the Trinity, always enjoyed praise of the angels. Always did. But now God was sending his Son into the world. Now the fullness of time had arrived, as Paul says, where the Son of God would live a life of humility clothed in human flesh and, and where he would he'd die a sinner's death and take upon himself the wrath of God. And see, by sending his Son to accomplish such a, a great salvation, God alone deserves the praise. Uh, not, not the speaker, God. And recognize this, every angel from every corner of the earth descends on that one clo- location and, and sings glory to God. 
And so God is the center of the angel's song. Glory is given to God. It's not given to man. It's to those whom God chooses, not to those who choose God that the angel sings. Peace between God and man is reserved for those whom he is pleased, is what the text says. And so if any man or woman or child receives the peace of God alone, must get all the glory of it. Any of us here who believe it, we got to give glory to God. It's not that we're smarter, so we followed the reasons better. And those poor dumb souls out there that just aren't intelligent enough. Obviously, that's not true. I got saved, and I didn't do too well in school. But see, here's the the situation. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast glory to God in the highest. Well, the shepherds, they couldn't wait any longer. And so after this concert ended and this spectacular scene is gone from the sky, the angels return to their heavenly abode, and we read that the shepherds said to one another, I mean, what do, you, what do you say after that? They say, we need to go to Bethlehem and see the things that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. We got to make haste. We got to get there. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And, and, and so they just had the choirs of heaven every angel singing, filling the sky, and they leave that scene and say, wow, we got to go, and they end up in a barn. And they're at this barn, and there's this baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. So they proclaimed to Mary and Joseph what happened, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Well, as we come now to these closing verses, we learn in verse 18 that all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They all wondered. Everyone was marveling. Everyone was amazed. Either it was just to the Mary and Joseph or there were others gathered, whatever it was, everyone's amazed. But when we look closer, we notice that despite them all marveling at the message, they respond differently. We, we see proclamation. We see Mary pondering. We find praising. And of course, whenever the gospel is shared, we see pessimism. Let's look at it. Proclamation. Having arrived at the barn and, and, and seeing everything as the angel promised, what do we see in verse 17? The shepherds made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And, and so uh, the, the, the angels leave and, and, and the pasture, and, and now the shepherds enter the pulpit, as it were. They, they, they can't keep this glorious message to themselves, and so they must proclaim it. And so the angels are all gone. They make haste, and they start proclaiming the message. That's the first response. Second is pondering. Look at verse 19. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. It seems like Luke places Mary in some contrast to the shepherds, where the shepherds took the marvelous things they heard and proclaimed them. Mary starts pondering them from within. 
Hers is an inward response. The word treasure means to exert mental effort in, in storing information. It means to, to keep it in mind so it comes to the forefront of the mind. Mary was holding on to the words of the gospel by faith. She wanted to know them. And, and the word ponder shows that she still had some things she didn't understand. She was still trying to think it through, as you can imagine she would be. Um, and, and to think about it seriously, it means to think deeply about it. This wasn't a passing attendance of a Christmas service once in an hour and then moving on to bigger and better things. She, Mary believed the message, but she didn't fully comprehend it, and so she was pondering it. She had faith that was seeking understanding. She believed but needed help. Third, there's the response of praise that the, we learn in verse 20. When the shepherds leave, they glorify God and praise God for all they had heard and seen and as that it was told to them. See, the, the, the shepherds are simply following the, the path of the angels. The angels uh, first proclaimed the good news, and then they followed it with praise to God, as we just read. And so proclamation and pondering and then praise, all three are proper responses. It isn't that one's more spiritual than another. All three are, 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 are sayings or thoughts or ponderings or, or speaking or praising. All of them are important for the gospel message and a good response to the gospel message. They all bring glory to God, no less than the praise of those angels. And, and, and all three must be a part of our pilgrimage here. There's a time for all three. We must never give up witnessing. That's proclaiming the gospel. We must never give up wondering. That is pondering the never-ending depths of the word of God. We must never give up worship. That is praising God for all he has done through Jesus Christ. Witness Wonder and worship, I found that in the commentaries. Uh, uh, proclamation, pondering, and praise, I found that in the commentaries. However you want to word it, the point is we must take part in it. We must praise, we must witness, we must study and ponder. Well, there's one more response, and I'm going to close with this. It's pessimism. When we read that all wondered or marveled at what the angel said, we must not conclude from this that all who heard the message believed it. Uh, this becomes obvious as the story continues. People were surprised by the shepherd's story, but for some, that's as far as they went. They were just surprised by it. Um, there's always learned, they are always learning, as Paul says, but, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Paul says that in 2 Timothy 3.7. Maybe this is a category you fit in. I mean, it is Christmas time, and so people come to church at Christmas time. They come out for church on Christmas, and, and they're amazed at the story. And many people were. They marvel at it, but they, but they really, you're wondering, is it really true? I mean, do I, do I, is it something I believe? They're just not sure, and so they're, they're pessimistic. They're, eh, maybe. See, I hope this isn't you. I hope it's not you. I hope you're not still pessimistic when it comes to uh, the miraculous incarnation of our Savior God, Jesus Christ. I, I hope you're not indifferent and, and pessimistic about the life that he lived on our behalf so that we could be saved. Uh, I, hope, I hope you're not pessimistic about his death, that he died on the cross to take our sins upon him. I hope you're not pessimistic about the resurrection, which, which vindicates him and at the same time promises us that he will 
return for us and take him to be with himself. We will be resurrected. Don't be pessimistic. What you need to do this Christmas, if you haven't done it already, is receive the gift of hope this Christmas now. Receive the gift of joy now. Receive the gift of peace now. Receive the gift of forgiveness now. See, and to do that, to receive those gifts, all you simply need to do is receive Christ, is to believe Christ, who is the eternal ruler, who is the Savior, and who is God. Let's pray. Father, may we marvel May we proclaim, may we ponder, may we do all these things because we believe the message that has been given to us. Thank you for your son. Amen.